Peace be upon you. So one of the core arguments that people make in support for the Hadith corpus is they believe that the Prophet was explaining the Quran. Now, a careful analysis of the Hadith and the Quran shows that this is not the case. Funny enough, if you read the Hadith corpus, it is not an explanation of the Quran. It is not what's called tafsir, commentary, exegesis of the Quran. It's actually supposed narrations, actions, or the inactions of the Prophet that retroactively they apply to the Quran. And some of these hadith that they claim are tafsir make a complete mockery out of God and they're insulting to the prophets. For instance, in Sahih Bukhari 3404, it reads that it's uh, narrated by Abu Huraira. It says, Allah's messenger said, The prophet Moses was a shy person and used to cover his body completely because of his extensive shyness. One of the children of Israel hurt him by saying he covers his body in this way only because of some defect in his skin, either a leprosy or a scrotial hernia, or he has some other defect. And it continues, it says, Allah wished to clear Moses of what they said about him. So one day, while Moses was in seclusion, he took off his clothes and he put them on a stone and started taking a bath. When he had finished the bath, he moved towards his clothes so as to take them. But the stone took his clothes and fled. Moses picked up his stick and ran after the stone saying, O stone, give me back my garment till he reached a group of Beni Israel who saw him naked then and found him the best of what Allah has created. And Allah cleared him of what they had accused him of. The stone stopped there and Moses took and put his garment on and started hitting the stone with his stick. By Allah, the stone still has some traces of the hitting, three, four, or five marks. And this is what Allah refers to in his book. And now they quote the verse Chapter 33, verse 69, and it reads, O you who believe, do not be like those who hurt Moses. Then God absolved him of what they said. He was in the sight of God honorable. So they think that the prophet gave this tafsir, that this verse is in reference to uh, them accusing Moses of leprosy or a scrotal hernia. And the way that God absolved him of this is by having the children of Israel stare at his testicles. Now, this is an absolute absurdity. It's a mockery of the religion. It's an insult to the prophet they're claiming made this narration, uh, let alone to Moses as well. And this is the kind of stuff that you find in the Hadith corpus that they, they try to attribute as tafsir. But a more glaring aspect is that if you read the Hadith, you will not find the explanation of five consecutive verses. At best, you find these kind of silly narrations like the one we just read or just like a single word kind of commentary. And then there's a whole collection. It's called Asaba Nazul. This is the uh, contextual uh, revelation uh, of the Quran. And it's supposed to give the context by which the circumstances were when these revelations came. Now, what's ironic is they only have this for a tops, I think, about 400 verses. So that's less than 10% of the Quran. And then in addition, there's a lot of contradictory narrations. Like a very simple example is uh, which one was the first revelation? So some narrations say that it was chapter 74, Al-Mudathir, while other revelations say that it's uh, Surah 96, uh, Alaq. And the fact that it can't even get these facts straight becomes very problematic because if you can't trust it on the most basic stuff, how are you supposed to trust it on the more nuanced items? Now, what's interesting is that the Quran confirms this aspect, that the Prophet was not allowed to explain the Quran. And this seems very counterintuitive. What do you mean he's not allowed to explain the Quran? 
we're going to look at the verses and show that this was not the prophet's character and also this was not the system that God utilized. The most clear example of this is in uh, chapter 75, verse 16 through 19. It reads, Do not move your tongue to hasten it. It is we who will collect it into the Quran. Once we recite it, you shall follow such a Quran. Then it is we who will explain it. So here we have God talking to the prophet in the singular you. And it's commanding the prophet not to hasten his tongue and that it's God who explains the Quran. And this is uh, confirmed in chapter 55, verse 1 and 2. It says, the most gracious teacher of the Quran. God tells us that the sole duty of the messenger was solely to deliver the message. In chapter 5, verse 99, it says, the sole duty of the messenger is to deliver the message, and God knows everything you declare and everything you conceal. In Surah 21, verse 10, it says, we have sent down to you a scripture containing your message. Do you not understand? So the sole duty of the messenger was to deliver the message, and the message he was to deliver was this Quran. So this shows that everything was encompassed in this. So how does this system work? When the prophet had a question come up or something, uh, a situation arose, he would literally get a verse from the Quran explaining to him specifically to say, and it would give the commandment. So for instance, in Surah 2 verse 219, it says, they ask you about intoxicants and gambling. And then God gives the prophet an exact response to say. In Surah 6, verse 145, it's regarding the dietary prohibitions. And God gives the, the, the prophet the exact expression to say. Now, this again confirms with the Quran. One of the most powerful statements in the Quran regarding the, the aspect of that we are to follow and uphold only the Quran alone occurs in Surah 25, verses 27 through 30. But we're going to actually read through 33. So this is the testimony the individual is going to give the one who didn't follow the path of the messenger. It reads, the day will come when the transgressor will bite his hands in anguish and say, at last, I wish I had followed the path with the messenger. So here's an individual wishing that they followed the path of the messenger. At last, woe to me, I wish they did not take that person as a friend. He has led me away from the message after it came to me. Indeed, the devil lets down his human victims. And in the following verse, in Surah 25, verse 30, we read the messenger's testimony against such people. The messenger said, My Lord, my people have deserted this Quran. No mention of Sunnah, no mention of Hadith. His testimony against his people is that they de uh, deserted the Quran. Now, what makes this so profound is that if the Sunnah, if the Hadith were absolutely essential for our salvation. You would think in this statement that the prophet would say they have deserted the hadith and my sunnah, but it doesn't say that. And it reminds me of the biblical passage where they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And he says to love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Right? If the greatest commandment, according to Christians, is that you have to believe that Jesus died for your sins, is it not ironic that that's not the statement he makes? That he says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And similarly, when the prophet is making this accusation against his people who didn't follow him, who didn't uh, join him, that his accusation against them on the day of resurrection is my people have deserted this Quran. Now we're going to continue reading. This word gets interesting. It says, we have also set up against every prophet enemies from among the guilty. Your Lord suffices as a guide, a master.
Now, this uh, reference in regards to the enemies of God, right? If you notice in the previous testimony of the person, he says, I wish I did not take that person as a friend. Now, if we read Surah 6, starting from verse 112, it says, we have permitted the enemies of every prophet. So again, it's talking about these enemies, human and jinn devils, to inspire in each other fancy words in order to deceive. Had your Lord willed, they would not have done it. You shall disregard them and their fabrications. This is to let the minds of those who do not believe in the hereafter listen to such fabrications and accept them, and thus expose their real convictions. This sounds an awful lot like Hadith, and it continues. It tells us that the Quran should be our only source of law. It continues in 6.1.14, says, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? Those who receive the scripture recognize that it has been revealed from your Lord truthfully. You shall not harbor any doubt. The word of your Lord is complete in truth and justice. Nothing shall abrogate his words. He is the hearer, the omniscient. And then it gives us this warning. It says, if you obey the majority of people on earth, they will divert you from the path of God. They only follow conjecture. They only guess. So God is telling us that it's the enemies of the prophet who produce these fancy words in order to deceive. And the true believers, again, their source of law is the Quran alone, that God's words are complete in truth and justice. And just like God has no partners, God's book has no partners. We don't need some secondary text to explain to us God's book. Now, if we go back to chapter 25 and continue reading, so from where we left off, it says, We also set up against every prophet enemies from among the guilty. Your Lord suffices the guide, a master. This is those who disbelieve said, Why did not the Quran come through him all at once? We have released it to you gradually in order to fix it in your memory. We have recited it in a specific sequence. So the disbelievers, they're challenging the prophet and their question is, Why didn't the Quran come down to him all at once? Now the reason they're, they're asking this is because when they would ask the prophet a question or try to stump him on something, he would literally have to wait until a verse of the Quran was revealed to him before he could address them. And they're asking, why didn't the Quran come down to him all at once? And it says, whatever, so this is where it gets really nice. In 2533, it says, whatever argument they come up with, we provide you with the truth and the best tafsir. This is the only place in the entire Quran that you see the word tafsir, exegesis, uh, explanation, commentary, uh, used in the entire Quran. And God is saying that this Quran is the best tafsir. So before we look at how this plays out, how is the Quran the best tafsir? That it's not the prophet who's giving these explanations, but God in his revelations of the Quran is giving the explanations. It's worth looking at how the prophet is depicted inside the Quran. If someone read the Hadith corpus, it would make it out to be that the uh, prophet was just constantly uh, talking with everyone and giving explanations and this and that. But this is not the case according to the Quran. So in the Quran, the criticism that is given from the disbelievers towards the prophet, it's stated in Surah 9 verse 61. It says, some of them hurt the prophet by saying, he is all ears. Say, it is better for you that he listens to you. He believes in God and trusts the believers. He is a mercy for those among you who believe. Those who hurt God's messengers have incurred a painful retribution. So again, the criticism here is that he's just listening. He's not giving answers. He's not giving commentary. So it shows that he was more reserved in his speech. 
Now, this is further reinforced in the following verse, and this is chapter 33, verse 53. It says, O you who believe, do not enter the prophet's homes unless you are given permission to eat, nor shall you force such an invitation in any manner. If you are invited, you may enter. When you finish eating, you shall leave. And here it says, do not engage him in lengthy conversations. And the word in Arabic for conversations is hadith. This used to hurt the prophet, and he was too shy to tell you. But God does not shy away from the truth. So again, this confirms the narrative that the prophet did not go around engaging in hadith, that he did not go around giving this commentary, that he was very reserved in his speech. And it used to hurt the prophet when they would engage with him in this lengthy conversation. Now you have to ask, why is that? It's because the prophet knew that if he misspoke, that if he said anything that was even slightly off, that he could be severely punished for that. And we see this warning twice in the Quran. It states, Had he uttered any other teachings, we would have seized him by the right hand. Then we would have severed him from his aorta, cut the revelations from him, and none of you could have helped him. So if he misspoke, if he did something even the slightest bit off, he could have suffered eternal retribution for it. And we have another example in chapter 17. It says, they almost diverted you from the revelations we have given you. They wanted you to fabricate something else in order to consider you a friend. If it were not that we strengthened you, you almost leaned towards them just a little bit. Had you done that, we would have doubled the retribution for you in this life and after death, and you would have found no one to help you against us. So when they would engage the prophet in these conversations, their intention was to try to extract something other than what God has revealed to give them some additional information. And God is warning him that if he did that, he would have had double the retribution in this life and in the hereafter. That's the reason that when they would get in these lengthy conversations, it would hurt the prophet, literally. Because as we saw, the prophet was not allowed to explain the Quran. Now, how does this make sense? If the prophet couldn't explain the Quran, how does the Quran explain itself? Now, if we look in the Quran, there's about uh, uh, five other words, in, including to tafsir, that's used in the context of explanation. So it uses the words fasala. It uses the word sarafa. It uses the word fatwa and bayna. And every single time that these words are used, it's used in the context of God's revelations doing these things. Not that the prophet did these things. And we'll look at each of the examples. So the first one, fasala. If we look at every occurrence of this root in the Quran, it occurs 43 times. And every single time that it has to do with the context of explaining, it's always God who does the explaining. So for instance, in Surah 655, it says, we thus explain the revelations and point out the ways of the wicked. In Surah 6, verse 97, it says, he is the one who made the stars to guide you during the darkness on land and sea. Thus, we explain the revelations for people who know. This is showing that the fasala, the explanations are inside the Quran. And it continues, nine, uh, 698. He initiated you from one person and decided your path as well as your final destiny. We thus explain the revelations for people who understand. In Surah 6 verse 114 that we just read earlier, it says, Shall I seek other than God as a source of law when he has revealed to you this book fully detailed? 
that the book itself is detailed. The book itself explains the Quran. In 619, it says, why should you not eat from that upon which God's name has been mentioned? He has detailed for you what is prohibited for you. So again, God is pointing to the Quran as the explanation. In 6126, it says, this is the straight path to your Lord. We have explained the revelations for people who take heed. And the last verse we're going to cite is 10.5. It says, he is the one who rendered the sun radiant and the moon a light. And he designed its phases that you may learn to count the years and to calculate. God did not create all this except for a specific purpose. He explains the revelations for people who know. So consistently, we see that this root, fasala, when it has to do the context of explaining, it's always God who is doing the explaining and he does this by means of the revelation. The next word that's associated with explaining is the word saraf. This root occurs 30 times in the Quran. If we look at every occurrence of this root in relation, again, to explaining, it always indicates that God or the scripture does the explaining. So, for instance, in Surah 6, verse 46, it says, Say, what if God took away your hearing and your eyesight and sealed your minds? Which God, other than God, can restore these for you? Note how we explain the revelations and note how they still deviate. The Quran itself is explaining the revelations. Surah 6, verse 65, say, He is certainly able to pour upon you retribution from above you or from beneath your feet. Or he can divide you into factions and have you taste each other's tyranny. Note how we explain the revelations that they may understand. Surah 17 verse 89. It says, we have explained for the people in this Quran all kinds of examples. In some translations, you'll see every example. But most people insist upon disbelieving. Why do they not accept that? That, that God has put every example we need, every explanation we need inside the Quran. In Surah 18, verse 54, it says, We have explained in this Quran every kind of example. But the human being is the most argumentative creature. That despite showing these verses, that God is the one who's explaining the Quran, that he's already taking care of this fact by the verses in the Quran, people are still arguing in defense of the Hadith corpus. In Surah 20, verse 113, it says, We thus revealed it in Arabic Quran, and we explained in it all kinds of prophecies that they may be saved or may cause them to take heed. Again, the explanations is inside the Quran. Now, let's look at the third word. This is the word where we get the term fatwa. Fatwa is a religious decree. It's a religious judgment. And we see this root occur 21 times in the Quran, and a handful of times, it's in regards to these rulings. Now, what's interesting is when we look at these rulings, we see that the Prophet himself was not authorized to issue fatwas. All he could do is cite the verses of God in the Quran. So, for instance, in Surah 4, verse 176, it says, They seek your ruling, your fatwa. Say, God issues the fatwa to you concerning the single person. So now it's talking about the context of a will. And again, in 4.127, it says, they seek your ruling. So the people are going to the prophet. They're asking him for a fatwa concerning the will of the women. And his response is, say, Qul. so God is commanding the prophet to say this, this following statement verbatim. God explains to you. God is the one who issues the fatwa regarding them. 
as recited for you in the scripture. So the prophet himself cannot issue fatwas. Only God can issue a fatwa because God is the only one who creates the law. The prophet is incapable of issuing laws. All he can do is carry out the laws that God has instituted. Now, what's funny is if you read the Hadith Corpus, it talks about fatwas that the prophet decided for himself that, oh, he decided to prohibit certain foods or that he was deciding if brushing the teeth should be part of the uh, uh, abolition or not, or if it's lawful for uh, individuals to have sex with their uh, spouses when they're breastfeeding. But then he consulted the Romans and the Persians and saw that it was fine. So he decided not to. He did not have the authority to do this. Had he done this, God would have punished him severely. These are fabrications and go completely against the Quran. Notice that in both of the examples, when it regards the will, the people go to the messenger for the ruling and he is commanded to respond to say that God is the one who issues the ruling. And these issues, these divine decrees from God, these statutes, these laws are all encompassed inside the Quran. They're not in some secondary source. Now, the last word we're going to look at in the Quran is the word Baina. Now, this root occurs 523 times in the Quran. And it typically means to, to clarify or to make clear. And we see the first example of this was we read at the beginning of the podcast that it says, do not move your tongue to hasten it. It is we who will collect it into the Quran. Once we recite it, you shall follow such a Quran. Then it is we who will explain it. And the word here is bayanahu, coming from the same root. So here it's telling us that God is the one who's going to do the explaining. He's specifically telling the prophet, don't do the explaining. It is we who will do the explaining. And we see this again used throughout the Quran. So for instance, in 2187, where it's talking about sexual intercourse with your wives during the nights of fasting, that verse ends in Surah 2, verse 187. It says, God thus clarifies his revelations for people that they may attain salvation. So again, we see that the clarification is happening by means of the verses of the Quran. In Surah 2, verse 219, when it asks you about intoxicants and gambling, the prophet is commanded to say and is given verbatim words to respond to this question. And then it ends the verse. It says, God thus clarifies the revelations for you that you may reflect. So God in the Quran is doing the clarification. In chapter 2, verse 230, it says, uh, in the context of divorce, it says, these are God's laws. He explains them for people who know. In Surah 2, verse 242, it says, God thus explains his revelations for you that you may understand. In Surah 3, verse 138, in reference to the Quran, it says, this is a clarification for the people and a guidance and enlightenment for the righteous. In Surah 16, verse 89, it reads, The day will come when we will raise from every community a witness from among them and bring you as a witness for these people. We have revealed to you this book to provide explanations for everything and guidance and mercy and good news for the submitters. In 24, 18, it says, God thus explains the revelations to, for you. God is omniscient, wise. And you see this repeated over and over and over. Even the Quran is called the clarifying scripture. Now, we have a handful of verses that get misused to claim that the messenger was the one who is clarifying. And they, they interpret this to mean that he was explaining the Quran. Because this is a multi-meaning word. 
But upon careful analysis, we see that this has to do with the clear delivery of the message and not its explanation, not its tafsir. In Surah 16, verse 82, it says, if they still turn away, then your sole mission is the clear delivery of the message. Additionally, when the messenger is called upon to clarify, it's typically in relation to the scripture being concealed, like in the following examples. So for instance, in 3187, it says, God took a covenant from those who received the scripture. You shall make it clear to the people and never conceal it. This shows that the aspect of clarifying something does not mean explaining it, but it just means to not keeping it concealed, to reveal it, to make it clear for the people. In 5.15, it says, O people of the scripture, our messenger has come to you to make clear for you many things you have concealed in the scripture and to pardon many other transgressions you have committed. So what the, the messenger does is that he brings these things to light. He makes them clear for the people. He's not bringing additional information. This shows that the messenger can extract matters from within the scripture that were previously suppressed. Besides this, the strongest verse one can try to utilize to say that the messenger explains the scripture as some sort of secondary source is in chapters 519 and 1644. So 519 says, O people of the scripture, our messenger has come to you to explain things for you after a period of time without messengers. Lest you say we did not receive any preacher or warner, a preacher and warner has come to you. God is omnipotent. So someone can interpret this verse to say that, yes, the messenger is explaining. But the question is, okay, what is their mechanism of explaining? Are they giving some other secondary source or are they strictly citing the verses of God in the, uh, the scripture? And if we look at 1644, it says, we provided them with the proofs in the scripture and we sent down to you this message that it may clarify for the people everything that was sent down to them. Perhaps they will reflect. So in 1644, we see that it's the message that the prophet received by means of the Quran that is doing the clarifying for the people, that it's not some other secondary source. And this is confirmed if you just go 20 verses ahead in 1664. It says, and not we have sent down this scripture to you except to clarify for them what they disputed. So the function of the scripture is the clarification. When the messenger is delivering the message, they're delivering the clarification. But this is all encompassed, again, within the scripture. So from this, we can determine that the prophet never does exegesis on the Quran, that he simply delivers the message that he was commanded to deliver, and he judges by means of the scripture. In chapter 5, verse 48 says, Then we reveal to you this scripture truthfully, confirming previous scriptures and superseding them. You shall rule among them in accordance with God's revelations and do not follow their wishes if they differ from the truth that came to you. This truth that the prophet received was the Quran. The mechanism by which he judged was the Quran. It wasn't by some other source. It wasn't by his hunches, his whims, his desires. Anytime he would come even remotely close to that, God would have warned him. God warned him in chapter 66, verse 1, why do you prohibit that which God did not prohibit just to please your wives? This shows that the prophet had no authority to make any rulings outside of what was given to him by means of the scripture. If we read Surah 4 verse 105, it says, We have sent down to you the scripture truthfully in order to judge among the people 
in accordance with what God has shown you. You shall not side with the betrayers. So the function of the scripture is what the prophet used to judge by. He did not use some other source. He did not come up with his own interpretations. This was strictly commanded upon him. In chapter 10, verse 15, it says, When our revelations are recited to them, those who do not expect to meet us say, Bring a Quran other than this, or change it. Say, I cannot possibly change it on my own. I simply follow what is revealed to me. I fear if I disobey my Lord, the retribution of an awesome day. This is the response the Prophet was authorized to give. That he cannot add to the Quran. He cannot take away from it. He could not contradict it. So all these hadith we have that are secondary sources of law, that are adding religious rules on top of the Quran, that are contradicting the, the rulings within the Quran, they're all fabrications. And if people fail to realize this, they may be supernaturally blocked from seeing the truth, from understanding the pure message. In chapter 17, verse 45 and 46, it says, When you read the Quran, we place between you and those who do not believe in the hereafter an invisible barrier. We place shields around their minds to prevent them from understanding it and deafness in their ears. And when you preach your Lord using the Quran alone, they run away in aversion. As believers in God, we have to be fully content with the Quran alone. Sometimes we want to have shortcuts to the questions we have. But God tells us that in Surah 5 verse 101, it says they ask about matters that if revealed to them prematurely would hurt them. If you ask about them in the light of the Quran, they will become obvious to you. God has deliberately overlooked them. In chapter 20, verse 114, it says, Do not rush into uttering the Quran until it is revealed to you and say, My Lord, increase my knowledge. Part of the system is we're going to wrestle with these concepts of the Quran. But this is part of the journey. We have to go through it and trust in God's system that all the details, everything we need for our salvation is encompassed inside this book. But the second we go to some other source of law, it shows that we do not believe in God's words and we do not believe in the hereafter. So God willing, let's not make that mistake. And inshallah, until next time, peace and God bless. If you guys want to get in contact, please join our Discord server. We have over 3,000 members, daily discussions, Quran recitation, Quran studies, meditation. It's awesome. We'd love to have you. The invite link you can find in the, uh, the show notes. If you want to get detailed notes for today's uh, uh, topic, you can go to Quran Talk blog. And if you want to follow along the verses of the Quran, you can download the Quran City app uh, on iOS. And if you don't have an iOS device, you can go to QuranCityApp.com. And until next time, peace and God bless.